Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. We've been tracking the life of the Lord, and I taught on the baptism of the Lord for three weeks. And then I have moved into the baptism, or I should say the temptation of the Lord. And uh, today I just kind of want to tie that knot and move on from there. But we're going to end with some incredibly powerful scripture. So Luke chapter 4, I'll read to you. Verse 1, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Who led him? I'll ask you one more time. Come on, with boldness. Who led him? And is the Spirit the Lord? Yes. If you qualify to lead Jesus, you must be the Lord. Verse 2, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Did the Holy Spirit tempt Jesus? Did he allow the temptation to happen? Absolutely. Jesus ate nothing in all that time and had become very hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. It's the best thing to say to the, to the devil, by the way. Don't start all these conversations with him. It's bizarre when people do that. No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Underline that, worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, say the scriptures. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem. You're hearing that language? We're talking about a wild experience here. The devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. I mean, how many of you think Jesus would be pretty visible standing up on that temple? I, I don't have time to get into that. You can come to Jesus School and we'll, we'll, we'll get after stuff like that. And said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, so now the devil is quoting the scripture. He will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. I love this. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, so he adds an also. You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Just side note, typically that next opportunity is usually when we are worn out and tired or following great victory. That's the biblical narrative. 
Jezebel sends a threat to Elijah after his greatest victory. We know that Jesus faced great temptation again in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tired. So, oftentimes the worst temptations come after great victory, listen carefully, when we are worn out, and lastly, through people close to us. Judas. It's also worth noting that Judas was possessed by the devil when he received communion. Read John's Gospel. He dips the bread, well, when he receives communion improperly, with the wrong heart, with the desire to betray Jesus. That's what the Bible says. He dips the bread and the devil entered him. And so what looked like covenant life was not covenant life in the heart of Judas. He had always been a thief. He wrongfully received Holy Communion. The devil saw that as a door. And that's why Paul writes, when we don't discern the body of Jesus, we receive communion improperly. Many are sick and die among us. So I believe one of the reasons the church is so sick one of, not the only reason, one of, is because we do not receive enough Holy Communion throughout the body of Christ and because we receive it improperly. We don't take the elements and throw them three rows over. That, I don't understand that. So, we see this here, and the devil comes to tempt Jesus. Now, there is something I'd like, to turn, I'd like to turn your attention to. Go to Psalm 91. I found it so interesting that the devil uses the Psalms, specifically Psalm 91, to use against the Lord. Which, again... If you take the scripture and attempt to use it or understand it outside of the lens of Christ crucified, you will misuse it eventually. Now in Psalm 91, the devil actually uses verse 12, verse 11. This is what he's using in Luke 4. Verses 10 through 11. So he's quoting Psalm 91, 10 through 11 and 12. It's very interesting to me, though, that he leaves out, this was very convenient, that he leaves out verse 13. Ryan, would you grab that mic? Quite convenient for the devil to not read verse 13 because it doesn't work out so well for him go ahead and read that it says you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra <laughs> the young lion and the serpent you shall trample under he left that promise out when he quoted the scriptures to Jesus he forgot to tell him and by the way you're going to crush me <laughs> and I bring that to you because 
the way by which we handle scripture is impossible to describe the importance of. We must look at scripture in a certain light. Go to Psalm 119, Ryan. And I want you to read verse 160. That's a long chapter. The entirety of your word is truth. Stop. Say that again. Again. The entirety of your word is truth. Anybody have the ESV? No? Okay. The ESV reads, the sum, the sum of thy word is truth. If I'm going to land on truth, I cannot take one text and base my life on it. The sum of your word is truth. That means the entirety of Holy Scripture, yes, from Genesis to Revelation, is truth. All of it. And the devil very conveniently chose not to quote Scripture in that light. As I said, he left out, verse 13, you will crush the head of the serpent. You will crush lions and cobras. Of course, he would leave that out. Left out Genesis 3, that this man would come who is the serpent crusher through the bruising of his own heel. And Jesus replies by saying, the scriptures also say. Listen carefully. Jesus was armed with three weapons in his temptation. Write these down. Number one, not in order of importance. Number one, solitude. Solitude. May I also add, solitude is different than isolation. You want to get creamed by the devil and start believing lies and have the audacity to actually communicate those lies Step one, isolate yourself. The devil is uh, very seasoned. He has 6,000 years of experience. And he loves to start conversations with Eve while she's all alone walking through the garden that she would call a life of prayer. To simply get her to engage in a conversation rather than her just talking to Jesus. Okay? Solitude is different than isolation. Isolation is the thought, I can't trust you. The body of Christ is jacked up. I'm doing this all alone. Or I'm just going to launch my own house church. There's nothing wrong with house churches. I come from one. But the thought that a house is more holy than a building is idolatry. It's idolatry because we are placing the credit upon the structure rather than the presence of God who makes the place a church. Little crowds can be unholy. Big crowds can be unholy. 
How many people are in a marriage? Two. Thank God for, for now. Let's just pray it stays there. Two. How many of you think there is such thing as an unholy, unrighteous marriage? It just took two. Two. All right? So a small group is not more pure than a big group, and a big group is not more pure than a small group. The location is not the point. Yieldedness to the Lord is the point. It is the Lord's presence that distinguishes a place and makes it a church. All right? Isolation will destroy you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about willful solitude. Okay? Under the canopy and lordship of the scriptures. This is really important. So number one, solitude. He's armed with solitude. Number two, prayer. Prayer. True prayer. Now, these two go hand in hand. We know that Psalm 91 makes a promise. Let's just look at it since we're there. Psalm 91 makes a promise in verse 1. Ryan, would you read verse 1 just throughout the entire verse? It says, He who dwells in the city. He who what? Dwells. dwells. Does it say he who visits? Does it say who, he who frequently shows up to the secret place? No, dwelling speaks of tabernacling and residing. He who builds a life and a lifestyle. Keep reading, right? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Okay, this is the realm of secrecy. This is where it is just you and the Lord. You must have a life of dwelling that rests between you and Jesus. Has to be the most important part of your life. The most important part when it comes to spiritual disciplines, which are not bad words. I'm talking about disciplines <laughs> being welcomed by a certain people called disciples. These disciplines, if I had to list them, step one, go in your room, shut the door. Spend time with Jesus all alone. You say, I'm too busy then you are too busy. I would take it beyond busy and just say distracted. I would say that uh, Ishmael has been engaged to your heart if you're too busy to pray. So here we have prayer marrying this solitude and keep reading, Ryan. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall what? Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Yeah, shall abide. Now, many people will say, I don't need to spend time with Jesus because I abide all day long. It's unbiblical. It's completely unbiblical because Psalm 91 teaches us that the secret place births the abiding place. You know, wars are won in this solitude that maybe the masses will never know about. Holy, ancient wars are won when a man or woman closes the door. 
This is where a man or woman learns to put the passions of the body out. James writes about the tongue being a rudder that's difficult to control, but it steers the whole ship. The Bible teaches that it's easier to take a city than to tame a tongue. When a man or woman learns how, listen, listen to my language, to just be in the presence of God, to just be, great wars are won. How can a man or woman lead a people if he can't sit in a room? How can a man or woman lead a people or the nations if he cannot control his members? It's that feeling that when you're alone with Jesus, I can't wait to get out of here. I've got stuff to do. I can't wait another five minutes here. I'm, 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 I'm bored and I'm antsy. That's what we call the passions. The strength of the flesh is rearing its head. That's actually a good thing if you'll wait beyond it. When, when those worms start to come up like they do after a rain shower down here in Florida, when it pours, you see those worms come up and those sandhill cranes come and they start eating them all. The water brings those worms to the surface. You have to remember, the presence of Jesus is the diagnostic and the medicine. Listen, what do I mean by that? It's the x-ray and the surgery. You don't know what's wrong with you until you get with him. You don't know what needs to go until it rains on your soul. We need the rain to reveal the worms. And once it starts raining, these worms start coming to the surface. And that's usually when we leave. So they stay around too long. When you learn to wait in silence and be with the Lord, beyond that antsiness, beyond that temptation, that's where the wonderful dove of heaven comes and starts picking off those worms. And this is the place, listen carefully, where our capacity increases spiritually. Spiritually. This is the true place of maturity. Answer this question. If you don't have multiple services, let's just say you don't. Why has it become part of American church culture to keep the sermon at under 30 minutes? Answer the question. I'll tell you what it is. The fear of man. It's the thought and worship sets. They actually have studied this. My friend. (laughs) I won't tell you who. You love him. My friend was approached by leaders. And they told him. That studies show. People don't like to sing longer than 28 minutes. 28. Not 25. (laughs) Not 30. 28. And my friend looked at them and tears ran down his cheek. He said, well, we do at my church. How did we get there? We got there because flesh started calling the shots. 
How can the word dwell richly within us if we won't sit under it, even when we're tired? See, listen, if you get a little tired and distracted, which I'm sure has happened in everybody as I'm preaching right now, that's fine. Ooh, what do I do? You just focus again. What do I do to fall asleep with Jesus? Wake up and keep going. You're sleeping anyways. But how did we get there? I'll tell you. Flesh started leading. Flesh started leading. And when leaders are not, are not waiting beyond their comfort zone in secret, it's impossible to give that away to a people. You, all right, listen. You will not find experiential, listen to my language, experiential union with the Holy Spirit scrolling. I don't care if it's 2024. The ancient way into the knowledge of God that is divine intimacy is stillness. Psalm 46.10. Ryan, read it, please. I'm having fun this morning. We're going to see disciples emerge. And spend less time wondering what's wrong with the church. More time wondering how beautiful Jesus is and what's wrong with you. Go ahead. Be still and know that I am God. Be what? Be still. That doesn't mean just physical, you know, the silent stare game. That's not what I'm talking about. But that is important. I hate... I. Don't hate to tell you. I'm glad to tell you. Jesus doesn't kiss moving targets. Song of Solomon, chapter one. Go there. Is this all right? Oh, because friend, look, 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 look. You follow the cloud long enough, your day is coming to go toe-to-toe with the devil. I'm not going to give you details, but trust me when I tell you. I can tell you as somebody who's standing before the Lord right now and will in the age to come, the devil is incredibly real and he will come knocking on your door the moment you press in a little too far in his eyes. He will try to scare you off of the holy pursuit of God. He's not so freaked out by your gifting. Let me tell you what freaks him out. Authority that is purchased in secret. That that makes him incredibly afraid. And through fear and intimidation, he will come your way and try to bargain with you. He is a master negotiator. And I'm not telling you by secondhand experience. I'll just say that. He is a master negotiator. Did he not negotiate through Pharaoh with the children of Israel? You stay back. The rest can go. The flocks can stay. What did Moses say? Absolutely not. We're all going. All of our animals, all of us, the children, the workers, all of us. We're going. That's the way of Christ. The way of the devil is negotiation. He will ask you, well, it may not sound just like this for you, but he'll ask you something like this. How much for what you have? What's your price? What's your price? The notoriety your price? 
Being known on social media, is that your prize? Having a big ministry, your prize? Packing the pews, your prize? Gaining money, your prize? In your kingdom business? You can't have a kingdom business and compromise. What's your prize? He loves to ask that question. How much for what God has given you? And he's not talking about cars and houses. You know what he's after? The glory. Oneness with Jesus. Read Song of Solomon, chapter one. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Stop there. Let him what? Come on, talk to me. Let him what? Let him what? With what? Keep reading. Let him kiss me, singular, with the plural, kisses. What's the Shulamite saying? He kissed me once. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. Now, can you kiss a moving target? No. It must be face to face, eye to eye, breath to breath, heart to heart. Stillness sets me up for one kiss and another and another and another and another. It's not normal to want just one. One sets me up to be ruined the rest of my life. And if he kissed you while you were still the first time, let him do it again. And in that kiss, don't forget this, there is a breath exchange, a life exchange, a touch exchange. When the devil knocks on your door and the temptations come, it's God's will that you win. And I'm telling you how this morning. Prayer and solitude go hand in hand. This is different than prayer and isolation. Solitude still values the gathering of the body of believers. Isolation doesn't trust the body of believers. Solitude is bent on Christian love. Isolation is built upon a fence. Hallelujah. All right. Lastly, I'm going to go till 1210. All right. Who gives a rip? All right. Now, look. Look, do you, do you know that leaders will give an account for their leadership in your life before heaven? That's what the Bible says, that I'll give an account for the condition of your souls. Now, I can't do all the work for you. But I've gone to preach the scriptures faithfully enough so that when I stand there, the Lord doesn't hold me accountable for something I didn't offer to Nathan and Kathleen biblically. That, that freaks me out in the best way and, and in the worst way. It's scary. We need leaders like that again. who unapologetically teach the Bible. If you're watching... Don't you become a slave of, of opinion. Preach the Bible. Regardless of the cost. Preach the word of God. Divide it and break it properly and faithfully. 
And the church must get used to receiving the unadulterated, pure milk of the word. Amen? All right, lastly, the third weapon. The first was solitude. The second was prayer. The third is the scriptures. How did Jesus answer every time? The scriptures say it is written. Now, think Bible now. Go back to Luke 4. When you look at the temptations of Jesus, the first one comes in verse 3 of Luke 4. What was the first word or the first few words? If you are what? Come on, talk to me. Put it up on the screen. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. What did the devil just hear at the baptism of Jesus? This is my beloved son. Do you think Adam and Eve knew they were like the Lord? Of course, because they would not have been able to fellowship with the Lord if they were not made in his image and likeness. What's the first thing the devil said to Eve? It was regarding the word of God. The devil said, you will not surely die. You will not die if you sin. And what did the Lord say? For in the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. What did the devil come with? A question that questioned what God said. He may not automatically deny it, in the, beginning, in the beginning of the conversation with you, but he will get you to question it. And so we see this here with Jesus. If you are the son of God, and the father had already announced Jesus as being the son of God, and the cosmos heard it, the heavens heard it, the animals heard it, the air heard it, the Jordan heard it, John heard it, everything and everyone heard the declaration of the Lord God Almighty. This is my son. Now, if anyone could have looked back at the devil and used his resume and experience as the second member of the Godhead, if anyone could have used that as a weapon against the devil, it could have been Jesus. Now, that didn't land, and it should have. Some of y'all are tired. Remember what I said. Wait beyond the agitation. If anyone could have answered the devil with his highlight reel, it could have been the incarnate Christ. He could have said, I made you. I made that son. I made this dirt. I made the rock. You're telling me to convert. I made it all. You used to worship me. He could have talked about the interactions of the Trinity. He could have talked about how he formed the stars and keeps them by the word of his power. He could have talked about all of that. He didn't. Step one, it is written. You better get good at that. When the devil comes your way, you don't go, oh, let me tell you what happened to me at a revival meeting. No. No, because he'll try to get you to doubt that too. Now, now here's the thing. If God, Jesus is God, 
No, <laughs> I've got work to do. <laughs> Jesus is God. God, duh. get it, get it, get it through your head. Jesus is Jehovah. Ah, he is not the Father. He's one with the Father. Same in essence with the Father. He is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is as much Jehovah as the Spirit. This is God teaching us how to win. It's a good idea to listen. I just think it'd be dumb to choose another route. If anyone could have shot a lightning bolt or blown on him or whatever some of us charismatics love to do or shake or buckle over or wave a flag. I love our flaggers. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm going to join the team one day. No, that'll never happen. That's not how you do it. <laughs> I can only imagine you waving a flag over the devil. Probably just duck. Don't, listen, don't choose another route. I don't care if you saw it on YouTube, heard it on a podcast, heard a story about it. No, no. We are Christians. We are sons of the Savior. We're disciples of the Master. If he did it, we do it. Step one, the temptation comes. It is written. Oh, man. You'll win every time. Now, for those of us who don't like the Old Testament, you don't like the scriptures. Jesus didn't come up with his response in verse 4. Ryan, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, this is the book. Oh, man. If I did a survey, name the top five books you conveniently skip, you know Deuteronomy is one of them. And you know why it's one of them? Because we don't look for Jesus there. We're trying to figure it out. That's reading your Bible according to the knowledge of good and evil. No, 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 no. We look for Jesus everywhere. And the word Deuteronomy simply means, it comes from the Greek word, veftero, second law. It's the second, not a different law. It's the second utterance of the holy law of God. Read it, Ryan. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It says, so he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone whoa you want to know where Jesus pulled that one out of Deuteronomy 8.3 not out of the stars he pulled it out of the text See, we have an issue with that because we want everything to be more of like, like Tinkerbell with pixie dust everywhere. We don't understand he's the God. Listen, listen carefully. He's the incarnate God who wants to fill all things with himself. The natural will always be connected to the supernatural. We are Christians. That's why holy acts, prophetic acts, the sacraments of the church. Think about it. When I take oil and put it on your body, it's touching your skin, but it refreshes the soul. 
It starts with the natural and does a spiritual work. Tonight we'll baptize people and you're all going to be there. You're not going to be eating nachos and queso. You're going to be here feasting on the presence of the Lord. Tonight, tonight we're going to take real bodies, human bodies, human vessels with like skin. Skin is going to go into real water that came out of a faucet, not the Jordan. Skin, hair, gray ones, rebellious ones, they're going into real water. And so we call this a sacrament, the great mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. It points to a higher reality. Are you getting it? So while bodies are going into natural water, flesh and blood goes into natural water, spiritually, Spiritually, they come forth from the natural water, alive in Jesus, separated from the world, dead to the past works, consciences cleansed just by going in to water. Are you getting it? Are you understanding our Lord? Remember, He's the incarnate one. He has a desire to fill all things with Himself, even the sky. That's why He ascended, one of the reasons. That as He ascended, as he ascended above princes and powers, he began to fill the heavens with his glory. And the scriptures teach that the cross itself cleansed the heaven, made a way. When the Bible teaches that the earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God, that means the natural earth is groaning for the day of the resurrection. The manifestation of the sons points to the resurrection. When Adam sinned, the grass felt it. The soil felt it. It was cursed. So then rather, rather than tend the soil, man now has to work the soil just to get by. Tending and working are way different. The earth's crying out for that again. It misses the moisture. It misses the priestly ministry that through the blood of Jesus comes to redeem and make right again. Well, one day when we are fully glorified in Jesus in the resurrection, when we get glorified bodies, the earth will stop groaning at the coming of the Lord. It's awesome. What, what's the point? What's the point? Do not diminish the mere reading of a scripture that, has, that is pressed into the paper with ink from China. You do not need a new prophetic moment or a shofar blown over your head. When the devil comes, do what Jesus did. It is written. It is written. Now, if you say, what if you don't leave the first time? Jesus took three. Do it again. Batter him. Flog him with Holy Scripture. Flog him. Hit him back. Hit him back. Build a reputation in heaven and in hell, that if he hits you, you hit back. You hit back. Hit back with the word. Do not embrace, I feel the power of God. Do not embrace manly fallen methods and try to defeat the one who who birthed them. You'll never beat him with evil. Hit back with scripture. Thank you, Lord.
Deuteronomy 6.13, Ryan. Now hold on. Jesus says, listen, that the kingdoms of the world had been handed over to him. I'm sorry, the devil says, the kingdoms of this world had been handed over to him. Verse five, and that's true. Adam actually handed it over. But so badly did Satan want to be worshipped that he offered another way to Jesus being king. Remember though, the only way to glory is through the cross. That's why Jesus had no problem dismissing the crowd. When they said, let's make him king. He, he, he feeds us. That's what we do today. More money in my pocket. I'm voting for him. This and that, all that. They wanted to do that with Jesus. He goes, no, 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 no. Everything goes through the tree. Everything goes through the tree. Dismiss the crowds, huh? And so now the devil says, worship me and I'll give you these kingdoms. Read his reply. Let me read the reply and then Ryan, you're gonna read Deuteronomy 6, 13. The scriptures say, this is verse eight of Luke four. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Ryan, read Deuteronomy 6, 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. There you go. Jesus, once again, pulls it out of Deuteronomy 6. One of the books we don't want to read. <laughs> How dumb. <laughs> How do you say dumb in Spanish? Someone. Stupido. So stu it is so dumb. It's so dumb. Our last one. Verse 12. Well, actually, let's go to verse 9 and then I'll, we'll land the plane. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. That's why you don't believe every encounter you have. Oh, I had this. I, oh, trust me, I've had plenty of encounters. I love them every time they happen. As recently as last night. As recently as last night. Just don't, don't misunderstand me. But you need to know what to look for in them to know who they're from. See, here's the deal with solitude. You start doing that, which is important. God will start doing business with you at a heart level. Stuff comes up to the surface. You discover God and you discover you. This is the Colosseum where gladiators are supposed to defeat the beasts. Right in here. All alone. You have to know what is from God and what is from hell. Deuteronomy 6 16, just turn there. Let me keep reading, Ryan, get ready for that one. If you are the son of God, jump off, verse nine. The scriptures say, as I read earlier, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. It sounds like such a pleasant promise coming from the mouth of the deceiver. 
Verse 12, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Read verse 16, Ryan. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. Wait a minute. That means God is looking, listen, listen up. Help me there, Joel, if you don't mind. Help me, Lord, get this right. There's a way of doing things that looks like faith to the natural man that is actually testing the Lord. Oftentimes we think we're taking a risk, but we're actually testing the Lord through our impatience. And one of the great traps, don't forget this, one of the great traps is the trap of momentum. When you live around momentum, which could easily happen here, when you live around momentum, you stop going to the Lord for the small things. And you start, oh, you start presuming. And David calls the sin of presumption, keep, David says, keep me from the great sin of presumption. Keep me from living a life that assumes to know exactly what you want me to do without going to you. And this is what Jesus refuses, even though a scripture is thrown at him, and he throws another scripture at the devil. The scriptures also say, the sum of thy word. You need another one. The scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. In closing, what I want for us, here's the challenge. By next Sunday, five new scriptures memorized. Five. All right? If you want to join my journey, start in John 1. Start in John 1. My goal for the year is to memorize the whole gospel of John. And I'm working at it daily. I have to do it by writing it down. So I write down a verse 10, 20 times, pray through it, hit the other verse, and I'm just going through it. Steph's doing the same thing right now, she told me. What's the point? You take these stones from the scripture. Notice Jesus didn't pull out parchment. Now, you can, but there'll be moments where you cannot. You're at a hospital room. The doctor says the baby's gonna be born dead. I've done this. You're standing there as a man of God. The family's looking at you. Please, please do something. You've got to have your five smooth stones ready. There are times where you can't whip out the parchment and learn it then. You get the weaponry processed now. Like David didn't, didn't have to wonder what he was going to do. I know what to do with this giant. I'm going to kill him the way I killed the lion and bear. He's going down. Five scriptures between now and next Sunday. Five, five verses that I'm asking you all, this is the challenge, that you're gonna memorize them and be able to whip them out of your pocket like a switchblade in a street fight. The next time the devil comes at you with a lion of temptation. Huh? So, the next time the devil says to you, those people are jacked up. I, you can't do church anymore. There's no such thing as a, as, a, as a perfect church. Get away from them. Start it in your bedroom. Be all alone. You're gonna go, hold on a second. 
The scriptures say, forsake not thy assembly. The scriptures say, I am with you, even in the midst of you, when you gather in my name. You must have Holy Scripture rooted deeply within you. And he won't come back until it's a more opportune time. And then you whoop on him again. I said you whoop on him again. Amen. All right. Do you receive that this morning? Do you receive that? If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.